0: Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a podcast featuring the experiences of individuals living with or affected by sexually transmitted infections, herpes, HIV, and HPV. Before we go into this episode, a couple announcements. So the first one is... This one's going to sound a little bit different than what you're used to. Over the last week or so, I've been reflecting on some of the things that we've been doing here, one of which is working towards a destigmatization of people living with STIs. And all I'm doing by asking people to share their race, ethnicity, and all those kinds of things is creating added layers of separation when the goal here is for people to recognize just how exactly we are the same. It just kind of went against my values after some deep self-observation and just really thinking through what I can do to make this better. I think that it's best for us to keep the podcast in line with my core values and beliefs. So going forward, we're going to focus more so on who the guests are and what they're doing rather than what they look like or what their sexual preferences are and if it comes up throughout the podcast that they use various pronouns or that they have been in a relationship with someone of a certain sex or any of those things if they come up it'll come up throughout the podcast i'm not gonna remove it if it comes up casually but i don't want to continue to create these profiles of differentiation between people. I'll have to go back and redo the episode zero episode because that was what I thought was best for the podcast, but it turns out it's not been as helpful as I thought. Now that we got that out of the way, don't forget to follow the hashtag something positive for positive people and the hashtag SPFPP, which is a lot easier to put in tweets than something positive for positive people. But with that said, I would like to introduce our guest today. We have Melissa King. Melissa, go on and introduce yourself.
1: Well, I am a psychotherapist in New York City, a licensed mental health counselor. My big passion area is working with individuals who have herpes.
0: Let's talk about how you got into that because you have a very interesting origin story of how you landed in the field that you're in.
1: Yeah, I've been in this world, I mean, in the herpes world for... A really long time it's actually starting to make me feel old when I think about it since 1994 so what is that 23 years or something like yeah, that we're at
0: 23 24
1: yeah I was actually misdiagnosed with herpes when I was 16 years old I started that way because I don't want people's expectations to be too surprised when they learn what happened so I thought I had herpes for eight years so from the age of 16 till about the age of 24 Back then, the tests weren't that great, and the doctor diagnosed me visually. I went to my original doctor. They were suspicious. They did a blood tests. The IgM came back positive. I don't think they had IgG back then. And then that doctor, thankfully, was really smart to go and ask a specialist, and the, the specialist said, Well, the IgMs aren't that reliable. It can pick up other herpes viruses like chicken pox and stuff like that so basically she came back and said we don't know you're just gonna have to come back in when you get another outbreak so I remember seeing the symptoms I assumed it was herpes my doctor didn't actually see the actual symptoms by the time I saw her so I just believed what the doctor told me at the clinic and I lived the next eight years believing I had herpes going to support groups taking Valtrex as suppressive therapy and trying to figure out how, how do I get my self-esteem back? How am I going to tell a partner? How am I going to have a meaningful life? I found out that I was negative when I was 24 years old. It was like 2002. I was dating someone at the time who I had disclosed to. We were hanging out. It was kind of one of those things. I think we were both interested in each other, but I wasn't quite sure what it was yet. And I just told him the story. It wasn't a planned thing. It just came out as sharing. And he leaned over and kissed me. I remember a week later, I was like, did he hear me? Yeah. (laughs) And I remember sitting on a park bench with him and bringing it up again. And he just said, this is making me too happy to not be with you for something like that. And, of course, that's, I mean, amazing, amazing, wonderful thing to hear when you're experiencing something like herpes. At that time, I was really getting a lot more comfortable with it, but I didn't have a lot of experience dating a lot yet with it. So that was a really fun experience. And then I found out about the new tests, the do tests, and I was like, I want to go find out which type I have, if I have type 1 or type 2. So I went to a clinic that specialized, in STD testing and that was doing herpes testing and got the tests And at the time there was a test called Pocket, which I believe is now the BioKit. I believe BioKit bought the Pocket technology. So Pocket had a 10 minute turnaround and it only tested for type two. And so they pulled blood to send away for type one. And then they did the type two blood test right there in the office. And that came back negative. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I have type one. So I went home and waited two weeks for the phone call. They finally call me and they say, your blood test came back negative for type one. And I was like, excuse me, <laughs> something must be wrong. And so, you know, over the next year, I probably had, I, I don't even know how many times I did the blood test again, because I was just like eight years of living my life one way. And it was really surprising to me.
0: You went all this time without having any other outbreaks.
1: I that were just like the first ones that I had, but I had various kinds of stuff that happens to girls. You know, like right. it's just like you have an itch, you have a red spot, you have this and that, and I was 16 years old when this happened. So I wasn't that familiar with my body. I just was like, I guess that's herpes. You know, I assumed all of the things that go on in women's vulvas. You know, it's like, I guess that maybe that's herpes. And also, I was taking Valtrexia suppressive therapy, so I wasn't expecting to get frequent outbreaks. And I also knew because there were some good books back then that people sometimes will have one outbreak and not get more outbreaks or they would have mild symptoms. And also there wasn't social media when I was diagnosed. You know, I wasn't comparing notes with other patients.
0: Let me ask you this. When you were first misdiagnosed, you thought you had herpes and you took the necessary precautions, but now you find out you don't have herpes. And I know that there's a little bit of in between there, but when you found out you didn't have it, what was your response?
1: Other than just, whoa, this is a shift. It wasn't like this huge relief or anything like that because I had come to terms with it for the most part at that point. And so some people will say to me, you must've been so relieved. And I think after eight years, I was just like, this is just weird.
0: You're like, Um, now what? Like, who am I?
1: (laughs) Right. I would never take those eight years back because it really pushed me to start looking at who I was as a person and my value as a person instead of a sexual being, which I think as a teenager, as a teenage girl, I I felt a lot of pressure to be sexually attractive. And all the magazines were talking about how to be good in bed. It really made me stop and consider Maybe I have to believe that my value is more than that, more than just what I have to offer as a sexual being. So I really worked on that, and I was at the point when I received the news that I was negative where I was believing that herpes was just going to be the way that I weeded out people that didn't really care about me. And so I kid you not, one of my first thoughts was, how am I going to know if somebody really loves me now?
0: That's interesting. I mean,
1: it sounds so strange, right? But that literally was one of my first thoughts.
0: That's such a positive outlook on it, too, because a lot of people go immediately to who's going to love me, whereas the other end of the spectrum on that is well damn that goes my filtering mechanism I was choosing people based on this how are you going to respond to me having herpes that's a tool for screening people in Mm -hmm. and you've become so reliant on that tool it's like okay now that I don't have this what am I going to do now
1: right (laughs) then I was enrolling in a program around the same time to do health coaching I actually used to be an audio engineer And I left that work to move to New York and study dance, which was kind of like a childhood dream. And I just wanted to give myself an opportunity to do it. But then I had to figure out how am I going to make money? So I had a lot of interest in nutrition and that sort of thing. So I went to school for wellness coaching and decided that I wanted to focus on the herpes population because it had been my community for so long. And at the time, I was especially focusing on women. Um, I wanted to help other women to get the accurate information more quickly than I did and kind of get on the road to healing and have support. I started doing coaching and I eventually formed a group. I was getting individual clients together a few times a year to meet each other. And then over time, I felt that wellness coaching was too limiting. I wanted to be able to go deeper and to be able to treat the mental health concerns that were coming up. Sometimes there was depression or anxiety and things like that. And as a wellness coach, I just didn't have the training or skills to be able to. So I was referring those people out and those people had opened up to me about the story and then they had to go talk to a stranger about it who might not know much about herpes. So I decided to go back to school and get my degree in mental health counseling. And so that's how I ended up in private practice, which is what I do now. And so I'm able to work with people who just are adjusting to the diagnosis, to people who have, say, an anxiety disorder, and the herpes diagnosis is really magnified, you know, magnified by the anxiety and magnifying the anxiety. Yeah,
0: yeah. So do you see, I want to ask you a lot about your experience and I know we're going to end up having to do multiple episodes here, but this is a really good place to ask this question. So what's one of the most common um, emotions or yeah, what are the most common emotions people experience who come to you with a new herpes diagnosis?
1: I think that it's, it's really like a sense of hopelessness about their opportunity for love
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know it's a despair um you know a feeling like either my life is over or i'll never be able to fall in love that's the initial
0: yeah i agree with that despair is a very good word for it and hopelessness as well when i was diagnosed i think i was so distracted externally by oh my god who else did i give this to i didn't really have time to go into the sadness and despair right away. So it was more of like, I need to find out who else has this. And then when Mm. I made all my phone calls and everyone said no.
1: You became worried about who you might have affected.
0: Yes. That's where I was at that point in time, shortly after diagnosis. Eventually, it got to a point where I had my time to be like, oh man, you know, now dating's going to suck. People have asked me, was there ever a time where you were just down about it? And I think that. The repression of the emotion may have played out in other areas of my life because it, to me, wasn't that big of a deal until it came to me having to date again five years later because I was in and out of relationships at that point in time with people who knew and were okay with it. But then when I had to begin meeting new people or start dating, there was like a hidden anxiety. And in hindsight, I'm able to say the reason I would sabotage potential relationships was because I have herpes and I didn't want to have to have that conversation. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, I, I think it's really encouraging to hear that your first thought was how have I affected other people simply because while I work with men and women, I predominantly work with women. You know, a lot of the women feel like the partners who knew that they had it or who found out they had it because the woman got it did not treat them responsibly. They didn't feel that their experience was cared for. And so the fact that you actually thought first, who have I affected, it's just an encouraging thing to hear about. I also find myself wondering, many women spend their youth dreaming of their wedding, right? (laughs) Dreaming of relationship, right? And so I wonder how different perhaps it might be for a man versus a woman if that reaction of yeah. no one will love me might yeah. be more, <laughs> I more think, like I'm not going to walk down the aisle, right, for a woman.
0: So I'll say as someone who spent a lot of time like watching TV or movies and seeing a lot of the media, popular just pop culture in general, um, one of the thoughts that came up may have been my sexuality is going to now be limited. That wasn't necessarily a big deal because I had a lot of other things going on. So it wasn't high priority like, oh, man, now I can't have as many partners as I would like to have. Can't lie to you. That was always a thing for me, especially after high school through college. It was like have as much sex as you can with as many women as you can. And then I got herpes. At that point, I was in a new job. I was at a new place in life where the opportunities should have been plentiful (laughs) but now it's like okay i need to just be in a relationship or i need to just get rid of that dream altogether Mm -hmm. but then you know i became distracted by my career those kinds of goals and then just i would say i was on autopilot for a while growing up i was taught go to school go to work get an education get a job that you love and retire there was really no in between there and Dealing with herpes created in in between, (laughs) so to speak, and just different aspects of dating challenges and wondering how people were looking at me and having to overcompensate in other areas of my life. Maybe even now that we're saying this out loud, maybe even that was why I got into working out so much. It's like, okay, if I'm more physically attractive, then whoever I date will look past me having herpes. So I'm going to work out in order to look good.
1: I love that you said that. I think that's such a common experience. I think a lot of my clients talk about that, of just feeling like I now have to be perfect on the outside so that maybe herpes won't seem like such a big deal to someone.
0: Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you have herpes? Well, you're hot, so... Yeah. Or, oh, you have herpes? Well, you make six figures, whatever situation may be. I've noticed that even since I've become out and more open about it there are a lot of other people who are physically active or in the fitness profession who are dealing with some sort of a health challenge and of course being healthy helps with uh, minimizing outbreaks and in other you know physical medical conditions it helps with those as well even with uh, mental health issues so a lot of people who have gotten into working out it's good for them to do so not just from the perspective of, oh, I need to look good so that I can find
1: a partner. Absolutely. And I think also, you know, one of the things that I really work with my clients on is really building a sense of value in all the other things that they have to offer in a relationship. Yes. Because when you're in a relationship, I mean, I've been working with people who have me since 2003. I've seen so many people go on to have Relationships with partners who are negative, and whenever any of those people come back and tell you know tell me how they're doing or they come back to visit my therapy group, you know they're they're all like herpes doesn't even come up. It's such a non issue. You know it's like relationship issues. There, there's so many other things that we have to deal with in relationships. If we can't get through herpes, we're not gonna be okay probably because it yeah. herpes is does end up becoming such a small thing. So I really try to help my clients to think about what connects us to people we are attracting people for the superficial reasons or we're trying to sell something that we're not yeah. right um those relationships end up being fleeting right mm-hmm. and less satisfying also yeah um you know regardless of what kind of relationship you're looking for
0: mm-hmm. and i'm noticing a pattern of the more the people who respond negatively to a diagnosis typically have a lot of other things going on that aren't being dealt with personally than just herpes. And it's just like, okay, now herpes is like a physical manifestation of an obstacle that I now have to deal with. But in reality, in dealing with herpes, there are so many different subcategories of things that you can deal with, such as your mental health, your physical health, or your career, or just overall sense of direction you know dealing yeah. with who you are and what it is that you're doing and rather than seeking a relationship based on what is this person going to give me or do for me you're more so focused on what can I do for myself and what can I bring to the table and what is a partner or partners going to add to that table because yeah. it's given me an overall idea of a bigger picture we're both contributing to this cloud overhead and i'm doing my best to create a visual here but there's a cloud above us and we both have an idea of what this cloud looks like i know what i bring to the table you know what you bring to the table and we're contributing that into this cloud over our heads so that we're getting out what it is that we need so we're not setting our expectations externally on what are you giving me and what can i give you but we're more so contributing to this overall bigger picture and we're getting what we need out of it by adding to it what we have to add to it i hope that makes sense
1: right right (laughs) you know sometimes i will ask people to reflect on the question if you weren't worried about herpes what would you be worried about or if you weren't insecure about herpes what would you be insecure about not to minimize i mean herpes is something to deal with it's something to work through but we can become so hyper-focused on it that it allows us to be distracted from these other
0: issues that are more complex and more more difficult to work through. Mm-hmm. A good question uh, is like, if not herpes, then what? Uh-huh. So, similar thing, yeah. I've asked people about that. I have to blog in very specific places when I'm asking these kinds of questions because I like to get feedback from people in the community. I want to make this podcast as useful as possible. So when asking a question like that, okay, if not herpes, then what? You'd be surprised what people come up with, uh, the ones who do contribute, because already we have a group of people who feel stigmatized to the point where they may not even want to contribute to public posts, but you can see like, okay, so many people looked at this or so many people liked it, but are hesitant to contribute to it. But the responses you get to this is it's all across the board. Okay, it's my physical health, my mental health, dealing with toxic relationships or other health challenges. There's all these different challenges across the board that are so much more significant than herpes. And another thing that often comes up is if herpes is the worst thing that you have to deal with, then you're living a pretty good life. Absolutely. I, you know, first coming up, I got to have this rent paid, you know, so I got to get to <laughs> right, work, right. you know, there's different work challenges and personal challenges and then making sure that I make time to do this podcast, making time for the relationships in my life. I'll always say that if this is yeah. the worst thing going on in your life, then you're doing pretty well.
1: Yeah, you know, I think herpes can be especially painful when people have had difficult relationships or rejection or you know have had trouble sort of achieving what they've desired for relationships and they end up feeling like herpes is just a further sign that something's wrong with them Mm -hmm. right and then so and then they focus on the herpes and they're not really able to get to well what really has been going on that's made it difficult for you to achieve the kind of relationships unless you let it Herpes doesn't really have to be the thing that prevents you. It's probably something else going on.
0: I like the way you worded that.
1: Yeah, I've noticed from so many years of doing this that people who had healthy relationships you know, healthy long-term relationships prior to contracting herpes usually go on to have healthy long-term relationships after. People who had difficulty establishing relationships, say people who tend to choose unavailable partners, continue to choose unavailable partners after herpes, which then may lead to more feelings of I'm being rejected of her- because of herpes when really there's a pattern that needs to be addressed of choosing unavailable partners and understanding the psychological dynamics that are going on that are leading you to that pattern is really what we need to work
0: on. How do we begin to recognize these patterns? If herpes, you know, to me, herpes was a speed bump. And when I recognized it as a speed bump, it was like, Oh, there's all these other things that I need to work on. Mm-hmm. But I have a very unique set of experience that led me to that. But what's a good universal way for us to recognize if we have a bad pattern that isn't Well, I think,
1: yeah, sure. I think that, I mean, first it's having some experiences to have a pattern and having some experiences could just simply be, I've asked a lot of people on dates and everyone said, no, I mean, that's enough experience to have a pattern. So it could just be just kind of reflecting back over the the years and over what are the situations I keep ending up in? Mm -hmm. And are, do these situations seem healthy? Am I happy with them?
0: Right. You know, and why
1: do I think that's happening? Am I really blaming the right thing? Is it, you know, if you're, you know, if you have good hygiene and basic level of being able to dress appropriately and stuff like that, it's probably not your appearance. There's probably something else Mm -hmm. going on. So, I mean, I think therapy is a really, really useful thing when you have a a pattern that keeps happening that's painful. But if you want to pick up a book, sometimes books on like attachment theory can be really helpful. There's one book that I sometimes recommend to clients who clearly have a pattern of attachment that's not working. It's called Attached. (laughs) And um, you know, so for instance, there are patterns of avoidance. There are patterns of um, preoccupied anxious where you become, like you get involved with somebody and you become really anxious about the relationship surviving and you call them all the time and you're always worried if they're gonna call you, right, and that sort of thing. so like, the, like understanding the, gaining awareness and information, right. About the attachment pattern can be a beginning yeah. to soften that.
0: All right. And I'm glad you said that because I find that journaling is very useful when you find yourself in a situation where you you're experiencing an emotion. It's great to explore that emotion. I've found that through reading, of course, several books, um, There is a common ground of every emotion being attached to tens and thousands of thoughts. So if you recognize the emotion you're feeling and you're able to ask, why am I feeling this emotion? And then going through what's happening in your life, I found that personally to be extremely useful.
1: It's such a great practice when you're trying to work through problems mm-hmm. and understand yourself better and improve your life, right? Mm-hmm. Having a discipline, I think, is especially like a discipline of journaling because sometimes if we just do it from time to time, we don't, we don't do it. That's <laughs> if true. You, if you kind of work it in like I'm going to do this before bed or I'm going to do this at dinner or I'm going to, you know, do it in the morning, whatever works for you. And even if you just give yourself five minutes to do it, I think sometimes you might be surprised by what comes out.
0: Mm-hmm. And even over time, you get so much better at it, you you become faster with it. So if I'm feeling sad about something and I begin to just ask the question in my head, I can filter through all the bullshit and ultimately get to what's really making me sad and decide how I'm going to deal with it. So it's something that went from having to write out like pages and pages to filling in a notebook to writing a page to now it's like, oh, okay, it, it's at the snap of a finger, I'm able to get to the root of what the problem is and then mm-hmm. decide, am I going to address it? Am I going to change it or am I going to leave it the way it is or walk away from it even?
1: Right, yeah.
0: And there are times where you have to just walk away.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it, it is. I mean, I think that coming to that point of decision is so, um, you know, it, for some people, they are able to know, like, I'm this is the decision I need to make. And for some people that's where their anxiety is right and so then they get stuck mm-hmm. and then it's like they don't know they they they're not even sure what the healthy healthy response is mm-hmm. like do i do i act do i do i do i remove myself from this situation do i you know avoid it what like what do i do right and you know talking that through with somebody can be really really useful yeah. but you know I, I bring that up because speaking of patterns I think especially with avoidance, sometimes you're not going to necessarily catch that you have this pattern where you just keep avoiding.
0: I think it's very important for people to recognize the people that they have in their lives as being able to point these things out to them. Because I was fortunate enough to have people in my life who were able to point out to me, all right, Courtney, you're doing this. You have this pattern. I wouldn't have recognized the pattern If they hadn't pointed it out to me, I could have responded one way of screw you asshole or Ah. respond the way that I did and begin to like ask, oh, do I like, when do I do it? How do I do it? Can you point it out to me when it happens? So being able to have those kinds of people in your life, it's very risky to share because for a while I have a very, very close friend who didn't know I had herpes. And he would be like, dude, you do this thing where dot, dot, dot. And it would always go back to that pattern. And then one day I was just like, you know what, man, I have herpes. That didn't even make a difference in why I was doing what I was doing. Because Mm -hmm. he was like, all right, well, you still do this thing. (laughs) (laughs) And while it was a relief for me, I felt like clearing that mental space allowed me to be more receptive to the advice that was given to me and being more open minded to, okay, I do this thing and this is just what this person notices who I'm at work with or I'm, I'm hanging out with. What about the other, you know, 16 hours a day? What else am I doing? So I began to really observe my own personal behavior and I encourage others to do that as well. You know, if you have a pattern and you find yourself in the pattern, what's helped me is projecting myself like overhead watching myself indulge in the behavior that i'm doing and explore the emotion i feel so what is it what am i getting out of this what am i doing why am i doing it and then be able to go back to my own notebook journal it in and be like oh okay am i gonna keep this the way it is or am i gonna change it or does this not serve my life bringing that back full circle it's important to have healthy people in your life who are going to be able to give you this kind of advice and remove the toxic people because my friend could have easily just manipulated the situation in his favor to receive whatever it was that person would receive by keeping me in that same pattern.
1: Yeah, and I want to speak for a second to those people who might be listening who are maybe lonely and maybe are shy or have social anxiety or are struggling to form healthy relationships, you know? And I want to just say that places you can start are looking for a therapy group. It doesn't even have to be about herpes, but that is a safe place usually where you can begin to kind of explore relationships. You just know you go there every Wednesday at 6 p.m. and you have that place and you have connection and people paying attention. And if that's not your thing, even just getting to a class, you know, I think having a pattern where you're going to the same thing every week can be, and that's something that I have to say a lot in New York because in New York, (laughs) it's easier in other places because When it's small, people, I think, gather more. But here in New York, there's so many things to do. So I have to really help people to kind of find something, like find a home base and go every week. Because when you go every week, that helps you to build relationships. And those relationships are built on a shared interest.
0: I like that. So do we want to, instead of using the word pattern, because you... We were talking about patterns as kind of a negative thing at first, or like the negative patterns of behavior. Would we say more so build yourself a routine or some sort of structure in terms of gathering with others?
1: Um, well, when you said that feedback from others and getting rid of toxic relationships and forming healthy relationships, I think for some people it's really easy to do that because they have a lot of friends, right? And they're very they're extroverted. They just like know a lot of people. So I just wanted to encourage those people who might be sitting alone right Got now, it. listening to this feeling like I don't even know how to begin.
0: I'm glad like, you did that because I, cause you I know? yeah, and I I'm bad about that, like making the assumption that. Everyone's like me. <laughs> and I think that that's a pattern that I'm, I'm really yeah, trying to get out of. you're very friendly
1: and you, you make connections very easily.
0: Connecting ain't easy. <laughs> but I know that there were a lot of things that we wanted to cover. And I'm going to have you back here again, you know, if time permits and we're able to get together more often. But I think that we've covered quite a bit from both of our ends on what we wanted to talk about but was there anything specifically that you wanted to address in this episode that you think we can fit in because you and I can talk even when we were speaking on the phone we spoke For quite a bit, and we have so much for us to talk about. So many things are racing through my mind
1: right now. I'm like, how did we get through all this time and not even touch on all those topics, right? (laughs) Well, Um, we did. I
0: think we've touched on everything, but uh, more specifically, I believe that one of the things that we talked about was a lot of your clients being female and needing to hear from a male perspective on dating because they feel like guys aren't available or accepting of their
1: condition. Is that right? I think what it is is that. A lot of the women that I've worked with would benefit from hearing from men who are really handling this in a healthy, responsible way. And that was one of the things that I got really excited about when I found – actually, it was a client of mine who sent your podcast to me. Oh, no way. Um, and I was just flipping out. I was, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I think the guest was Sean, it, you know, so it was two men. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> there's two men talking about this and they're talking about it in such a mature, responsible way. And I had to share it with my other clients because I think so many of them have felt so discouraged by men who maybe they contracted herpes from and who did not handle it. Well, most of the time it was, they didn't take responsibility for it.
0: So you're the reason Um, that episode got so many downloads. (laughs) uh,
1: uh, Yeah, that might be why. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, and then I also like really appreciated that you are a black man who is coming out about this because I have many black female clients. There's a lot of young white women who've come out about their herpes diagnosis, writers and comedians. And I think that's really great. But I think, you know, it's really important for people to be able to see people who look like them, right, who are who are talking about this publicly. And so It was really exciting for me to be able to have someone, um, to see that you were a black man and to be able to say to my black female clients, here's somebody that looks like you, so different gender, but um, who's talking about this and putting his name out there in his face, right? Who's handling this responsibly?
0: So the thing about that, I know a few other black men who are living with herpes and just, I would say... This isn't a big deal to them. It's just not as much of a high priority as it may be to a lot of people. You know, just like you said, as a black man, you know, we deal with a lot of things in society. Based on mindset, this can either be a hindrance or this can be one more thing that we really draw strength from and allow ourselves to move forward in life. Or it's just completely irrelevant. It's like, oh shit, you know, I can't have sex every now and then. I have to tell people I have herpes. It is what it is. And another thing is like a, a general man thing is to not go to the doctor really uh-huh. <laughs> so if there is something going on it might be like oh shit that's an ingrown hair i'm gonna see if it goes away in a few days uh-huh. and then just not think anything else of it so it's very possible that more of the population does have it than what we think just based on that because the first outbreak's usually the worst so if i get flu or something, then it's the flu. If I also have a sore in my mouth, then it's a cold sore, which a lot of people don't know is herpes. There's a lot of different factors that play into that, but just going back to the black man thing, some of the black men I know, it's just not relevant to them because maybe they're in a relationship or they've got other things going on or they find that the people that they tell don't really, they're not bothered by it. You have to put yourself out there as well. So if this really does bother you as a someone who's looking for a partner in general not just black female looking for a black male in general you have to be willing to put yourself out there because there are so many people who are putting themselves out there and just not finding someone compatible for them and it's not just based on ethnicity it's also based on having herpes or being accepting of having herpes so there's all these different dating groups support groups interest groups and people just aren't able to find them we're definitely going to chat again. Um, we're at a good stopping point here. First, let's tell everyone how they can reach you.
1: Okay. My website is myheartdances.com, just like it's spelled, or, you know, just like it sounds. I mean, M Y H E A R T D A N C E S.com. And I have a blog there, and I do write about. And I write about other mental health issues like depression and anxiety as well, but I do provide tools and resources on my website for coping. I can't provide therapy to people who are outside of New York, but you can sign up for my blog and get updates. And I am hoping to continue producing like linking therapy techniques with things people can do at home, like think reflections and things people can do at home to um, help themselves grow and move forward with this.
0: Uh, Thank you. I appreciate your time and I appreciate the time that you're going to give us going forward because it's, I've been wanting someone to help guide us through the mental and emotional aspects of having herpes and bam, here you are. So ask and you shall receive.
1: Well, it's really, um, really great to talk with you. And I am just so happy to be able to, to help others and to share what I know.
0: Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, guys, this concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. I can be found on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and Reddit at H on my chest, spelled exactly how it sounds. Leave a review, like, subscribe to, rate the podcast, please. It's growing. We've got people who are finding the podcast and being able to connect to resources that they need for support, interest groups, dating, and uh, just added information that they need to help guide them through their diagnosis. Till next time, stay positive.